Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast presented by Blue Wire Pods. Thank you as always for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this national podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, On today's show, we got Mark Schofield and Evan Swords to talk all things NFL. We begin our NFL L divisional preview series on this edition. We talk about the Seahawks and uh, Carson, uh, Chris Carson uh, to retirement, where the Seahawks are in their rebuild. Uh, early impressions of Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter and Falcons camp. Trey Lance showing out early in San Francisco, what that means for the 49ers, Debo Samuels extension. Uh, and then we really parse through the Jets, Patriots, Dolphins, and Buffalo Bills and how that division looks like it might shake out this fall. So a lot of fun talking with Mark and Evan uh, here on today's edition of the program. I think you guys will enjoy it too. Uh, don't forget folks, you can watch this very show on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff as we continue growing out the channel there. Read me, wrote a new piece over on Sports Renaissance Man about cell phones and coffee and all that good stuff. So read that today over on sportsrenaissanceman.substack dot com uh make sure you're subscribed there pretty easy just type in your email become a subscriber uh today you can also email this very program with any mailbag questions or questions you have for the other hosts for me anything like that at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com thank you as always as i said for making the chase thomas podcast part of your daily listen tweet at me chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this on a Monday night. We got Evan Swartz in the house as he is at this time every week. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? I am doing well, man. How you doing? Not too bad. I smell disgusting. I just cut the grass before I hopped on this pod, and I did not uh, time it well enough where I could get a shower in. So I'm not going to lie. I'm glad this is y'all cannot smell me right now thank, because thank it God is, the technology has not advanced to those levels yet. We're like three years out from Zoom calls being able to smell what the right. uh, other people are are dealing with. Like in work, where they want to make sure that you're bathing when you're working from home and doing what you need to do. Uh, they just want to uh, get there, but. Um, we've also got a first timer over here, one of our favorite NFL writers, Mark Schofield. Mark, good evening, skr- uh, good evening, skr- Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. And Chase, you've now got me terrified about scratch and sniff zooms. Like <laughs> the next wave in Zoom technology, and I, we do not need that, man. No, absolutely not. I mean, I wrote about this today. And the dog. See, we already got. We were talking about dogs, and then uh, Khaleesi, the dog, has decided to the the, the, the dogs. The dogs sitting there, like thinking about it. Like I'd like to sniff people yeah. through a computer. Like why not? That's awesome. Yeah, like that's a great idea. That's one of her favorite things. Actually, is to just sniff things, walk around sniffing things. That's uh, that's her jam. And to, her favorite thing uh, on a daily basis, though is play dead in the middle of the road on a walk she very much loves that um did it on our walk today and uh, we'll just lie down middle road like just stop and for no other reason just to be like hey what's up i run this just to make sure you understand this is still uh this is still me running it but uh it's all good it's all good um well we have to start i think uh evan is not come down from his trey lance tape hi mark he is just he sees one beautiful deep ball 
to Brandon Ayuk and the guy is just smitten. He's did, like, did you guys here. know the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl? Is, are, we, are we all locked in on that? Does everyone? Know. I'm not there yet, Evan, but I mean, I think you could talk me into it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, uh, there you go. Like, how about that? What is the case, Mark? Do you think that they're like, they've been in the NFC title game for two of the last three years. Obviously, it's not that uh, unrealistic to see them uh, right there again. Uh, Richard Sherman's all in on this defense, uh, talking about like the defense is going to be good. We can probably go ahead and pencil that in. Um, Trey Lance is more volatile though, right? Like it's just there, it's just more volatility there um, going on from Jimmy Garoppolo to Trey Lance. But what do you think uh, when you're forecasting the Niners with Trey Lance this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you sort of start with the ability to unlock portions of Kyle Shanahan's playbook that were previously previously closed with Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean. We know what Garoppolo is and is not as a quarterback. He's basically a point guard, ball distributor, like get the ball out, let people operate after the catch. But you're not going to really push the boundaries of what you can do conceptually. You're not going to really stress defenses the way that Trey Lance can. And he can do it in a couple of different ways. He can do it with his arm. And you mentioned sort of the deep ball. I think that's certainly one area where 49ers fans can expect some improvement and to see some new things, both conceptually and from an execution standpoint with Lance at the helm. He's also can do, he also brings the ability to do a little bit more athletically with his legs. And you know, he might not be the best athlete in the NFC West at the quarterback position, but he's an upgrade from Garoppolo in that regard. And if you think about a lot of the things that they can do schematically with boot action and moving a quarterback around in the pocket, it's one thing you've got some of the quarterbacks that Kyle Shannon has had to call upon, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins. It's another thing with Trey Lance. And if you start putting yourself in the shoes of, say, that curled flat defender, when you've got a quarterback rolling your way, that's not Trey Lance, whether it's Garoppolo or Cousins or you know Matt Ryan, you're not too worried about that guy tucking and going. It's a different story with five. You know, now you've got to worry, like, this guy might pull it down. I've got to worry. You might want to come downhill a little bit more, which is going to open up throwing lanes behind him. And so I think there's an opportunity for it to yeah, be a little bit more volatile, but also a little bit more explosive in a couple of different ways that we haven't seen from this Niners offense in the past couple of seasons. You know, what's crazy to me as a 49ers fan is, like, I've been so tuned in about the throwing perspective of, like, what Lance is going to do with throwing. And I think, you know, in training camp, there was, you know, it is training camp, all, you know, asterisks apply, but like it, an incredible, like put the ball where only the receiver can get it type throw in training camp to Brandon Ayuk. And it was gorgeous. And it's all I've been thinking about. But the funny thing is, it is true. He does have, you know, gazelle like legs. He is six foot five and incredibly athletic. And it is exciting to think about what he'll do. Um, but when I look at like the 49ers, offense last year and then you look at who they added with Danny Gray from SMU and Tyrion Davis Price the running back as far as whoever that's coming back I would not be surprised if Trey Lance doesn't run half of what people would expect this year if you remember the Arizona game last year where they just kept running QB power over and over again it looked terrible it was terrifying to watch we were all freaking out like he's going to kill our new quarterback um I wouldn't be surprised if after that we just come out, we got Debo re-signed, George is back, we got a little bit of a, you know, a hopefully a stronger offensive line so we, George Kittle doesn't have to block all day long. Um, but I would not be surprised if there were just too many weapons and options on the offense for us to have to even really consider Trey Lance as a runner. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more the threat of Lance right. than anything else that is really going to stress defenses. I'd be surprised if they run him, say, more than three times a game by design. 
Like, I think it's going to be more like if he moves around in the pocket or if they move him by design, it's going to have that fear in the defense, but they're not going to be calling 19 power, 18 power sweep, like 20 times a game. It's not going to be like the Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy offense. We saw at times where Nagy was just like, look, I don't know what else to do with this guy. So we're just going to run him like it's a pop Warner offense out of the wing <laughs> tee. Like I've got no answers for what to do with them. It's more the threat of what Lance can do that is going to stress defenses in ways that we haven't seen Niners offenses do in a while because you weren't worried when 10 was rolling out. You're not worried when no. it's Ryan or Cousins. This is a different story. And so I think you're going to see a little bit more that defenses have to account for as opposed to what they've had to do in years past against this offense. Yeah, you're 100% right. Like, I can't stress that enough. I definitely am not saying that they won't – you know, try and keep them honest with the, the Trey Lance run. Um, you, you're 100% right there. I am just like sitting here looking at all these people and I'm just like, he probably won't even have to. Like, right. he probably will, you know, it, it, I don't think it's going to be a Colin Kaepernick situation where he was like, right. you know, like at some times, like, you know, Crabtree was the only receiving option, Bolden here. And it's like, maybe I just got to go. Like, he's going to have so many ways to hurt the defense and yeah it's just i mean to, to kind of use like a golf analogy like if you could rope it 375 off the tee that's great to have you might need it twice around but it's great yep. if you can do it yep i'd like that's to it. have 175 off the tee but that's <laughs> who do you think mark stands to benefit the most from trey lance's arrival versus who thrived or did not thrive under Jimmy Garoppolo? Who would you keep your eye on to have, to just be in a better spot this year? I mean, I, I think Debo. I mean, do you think you know, he actually improves with yeah, Trey Lance? I mean, you hmm. know, my colleague Doug Farrar wrote, you know, recently um, that look in the hands of a better quarterback, that's more aggressive that can put the ball downfield in better spots. It's going to unlock portions of Debo's game as a receiver that maybe weren't there before. Mm. And I think that's the potential. Like, you know, yes, Garoppolo was able to put the ball on digs, on stuff underneath, on crossers and things like that in a position to get Debo yardage after the catch. And I'm firmly of the mind that like yardage after the catch on some throws in some moments is in part of quarterback stat. But when you think about what Lance can do in the downfield portion of the game, do you think about all the weapons that Evans talked about, all the different ways that Shanahan can scheme some stuff up? The opportunity to get Debo on some like out and up, some sluggo, some things like that, that maybe weren't part of the playbook, part of the game plan, or even, you know, thought about in years past, it will be portions of the play game plan now that might be part of the scripted 15. I think Debo might be in a position to even improve upon what we've seen from him because of what Lance can do as a passer. And it, it is funny because it's like all you heard last year was about Debo, the, you know, the the wide back, right? Debo, right. the running back, all these things. But like people seem to forget that Debo was literally running pace for pace, step for step with Cooper Cup. At like the first half of the year, like until our running backs got injured, Debo was, I think he at one point was ahead of Cooper Cup in receiving yards. So I do think you're a hundred percent right. And I, and I, I rather than just you know saying everything you just said again, uh, I will offer you know Brandon Ayuk. I think is one you know no knock on Debo, but I think Brandon Ayuk is more of a pure. Like you know, your your true blooded like wide receiver one, right? Can do yeah. all run the whole tree. You know, has that length. Uh, can really go up and get the ball. And last year we didn't really get to see him. You know, use it. There was some rumors that maybe he was in the doghouse. Um, later in the in the season, he started to kind of get it back. Uh, but I think in terms of like who has the biggest chance to improve or you know like thrive on Trey. 
if we can really see Brandon Ayuk be used for the things that we were all hoping he would be used last year, and not only that, but like, and this is just a 49ers fan, like, you know, being extremely biased and also hopeful. If we can get Brandon Ayuk to become the wide receiver one, there is a potential. If you've got wide receiver one Brandon Ayuk, the Swiss Army knife that is Debo Samuel, and then hopefully a George Kittle that can pass, catch the ball, like, you know, like the good old days, like, it's, you know, I mean, I just, it starts to become a Madden game, right? Like, how do you stop this offense? So it, it all predicates on Trey Lance. He's got to do a lot this year to be able to accomplish it, but there's definitely reason for excitement. Does that, so it's interesting you bring that up too, because I wonder, Evan, like when you look at Debo moving out and like his contract, he gets the extension. I want to get your perspective on what the final number was there and him being locked in now. And he's, you can move on from the contract stuff, all that's done. But I wonder with him wanting to be used more as a traditional receiver and him not wanting to run the ball nearly as much as what he did this past year, where he was most valuable and was an MVP type candidate. When you're talking about Brandon Ayuk being this, um, taking this jump, if Debo's out wide a lot more, if you're still having to feed Kittle a certain amount, are you at all concerned about what Debo's value looks like if Brandon Ayuk becomes a more featured player with Trey Lance? No, not at all. And so, like, like Adam Schefter tweeted today, you know, Debo, Debo Samuel is going to receive six hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year for each year he has three hundred and eighty or more rushing yards. He's also going to earn one hundred and fifty thousand dollars if he scores three rushing touchdowns in any one year, and he maxes out at six hundred and fifty k per year and one point nine five million uh, over the life of his new contract, aka. Debo's still gonna be a wide back. The the Debo Samuel that was that we all saw that we got to you know see all the excitement that was kind of an, a new position or at least a reimagined position with a player that's been able to do it better than most people have in, in past. I don't think that person's going away. And I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, right, do you want two wide receiver ones? Hmm. Or do you want Brandon Ayuk that can do that traditional wide receiver one thing. And then he's got Debo Samuel to just go be, be, you know, Debo Samuel. And then he just knows in the back of his head, if I need six yards on third down, if I need a catch, you know, like if I need something crazy, George Kittle can do it, right? Like put the ball in George Kittle's hand and it's going to take three people to tackle him. Right. So he's just adding, I mean, shout out to the Yu-Gi-Oh players, right? But he's just adding cards to the deck, right? Like at this point, he's, he, you know, I, I hope, and you, you've heard it in training camp, you've heard it in interviews. Everyone is saying this is the strongest roster that, that Kyle Shanahan has ever had. And that says a lot, right? He's got two teams that have been to a Super Bowl, if you include the Falcons, right? So like, I hope and I imagine to your point in question that Kyle Shanahan is trying to have an answer for literally whatever comes. And it looks so far so good. I love how Evan just basically comped Debo to a blue eyes white dragon. hundred percent. Incredible. Well, hundred percent. And I, you know, I think all of them together, the Zodiac, right? Like yeah. I, it, there's pieces to it. There's levels. So, there you go. I mean, the Funko pops are behind him. Like Evan, who is the, can you identify who's who on the Niners based on your Funko pops alone? Well, 100%. I think Korg, okay. uh, Korg is for sure George Kittle, right? The big boy, <laughs> tough mm-hmm. as nails, super kind-hearted, light-spoken, but fun guy all mm-hmm. the way around. Uh, you know, I think Thor, we got to go Debo, right? Because hmm. it's just like, like when, you, when you think of, you know, Thor coming in an Infinity War, right? Yeah. Wakanda, and just like, I am going to, I'm going to, it's fourth quarter. 
I'm winning this game no matter what, right? Right. Um, this is a very young guy uh, from Demon Slayer anime. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's just learning his powers, but he has very insane potential. So I think Trey Lance makes the most sense here. Okay. Uh, that's Colin Kaepernick. So we're going to just say that that's, that's Colin, Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick. Yeah, that's right. Kaepernick. And then I think no matter what, like to me, Captain America, I'm going Fred Warner, right? Hmm. Fred Warner, right? Captain America to me, it's the guy. He's he is the team player. He is here to lead the team. He's the he's the field vi- you know the field vision guy. He's going to tell everyone where they need to be, what they need to do. Also, like a quarterback. Um, but yeah, I think I think that makes sense. I'm pretty happy about that. I'm open for interpretations. No, I I think you nailed it. Yeah, I like it. Um, Mark, I want to get your perspective because uh, my Falcons um, are in a different. Kind of, kind of season and kind of mode than the 49ers here, and I don't really know what to do when it comes to Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota. This is just weird territory for me. My entire adult life, the quarterback position has been very much settled, right. and the Falcons got really lucky where they only had this one year blip in between Vic and uh, Matt Ryan. And most franchises don't get that lucky. They don't get two franchise quarterbacks over the course of uh, one fan's uh, lifetime, essentially. Um, but when you look at the quarterback room right now and what Arthur Smith is going to ask from Marcus Mariota, who was named quarterback one after one practice last week, did you see enough from Desmond Ritter, uh, at Cincinnati coming out that you're like, they should at least give him a serious look because I don't think there's any way we don't see both this year because Marcus Mariota being healthy for 17 games just seems very unlikely. So I, I think we'll see it. And when you consider next year's quarterback class, it, are the Falcons in kind of a really unenviable situation by taking Ritter in the third round where it might be too hard to parse through what he actually is this year with this group? Or do you think Mariota could have the Ryan Tannehill resurgence in I Atlanta mean, and just as good? Where, where are you at? Because I don't know what to do with all of this. Yeah, I mean, is there a potential for a Tannehill resurgence? Like, yeah, I mean, you're talking about Arthur Smith who created mm-hmm. the Tannehill resurgence. I mean, yeah. there's that potential. Yeah. I, I think the, the point, too, about next year's quarterback class was probably the most important one because if you're Atlanta you have to figure out what you have in Desmond Ritter because Mm -hmm. if you manage to find the guy in the third round and get him this year and start that QB clock a year ahead of schedule fantastic but if not you know again this is August 1st Mm. a lot can change not too many people knew the name Kenny Pickett this time last year he was the one guy that went in the first round you know a lot could change but you're looking at Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Phil Jakovic, Anthony Richardson. Like, it is a deeper and more talented group sitting here on paper right now. And so you have to make that determination over the course of the next couple of months. Are you going to be in on that quarterback class, or have you found in Desmond Ritter the guy that you could say, you know what, we don't need a quarterback. Like, if we're picking first overall, we can ride with Will Anderson Jr. and we're going to be fine because we don't need to draft the QB. Like, you want to figure that sooner rather than later. Mm. Can Ritter be that guy? I think so. I saw enough in him to think in the right hands, in the right offense, in the right environment, he could be an NFL starting quarterback. And so I think Arthur Smith is the kind of capable hands. I think that system is the kind of offense. And when you remember that talking to Ritter at the Combine, he was like, yeah, two quarterbacks I modeled my game after, Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota. Hmm. He goes to Atlanta to play for the guy that turned Tannehill's career around, and now he's learning behind Marcus Mariota. And so I think he's in that environment. But I do think that, yeah, it's nice that they named Mariota the starter for week one or he's QB1 right now, and that's mm-hmm. great. 
I think by October, by Halloween, we're going to see Desmond Ritter. Hmm. See, that's the thing that I'm most curious about, especially to your point. We all know how strong this quarterback class is going to be in the draft, right? How do you even, like, waste time? I mean, like, if for Desmond Ritter, it just seems like if you're, like, trying to line everything up well, just play in week one because yeah. you get him going, you have to get him going early. Either it works and he's one of the few bright spots on an, you know, our forgettable kind of roster – and you and you go okay. I see it. I see how he's played with adversity on a uh, you know a bad team. We can build around this, or you start the rookie. They play terribly, and then you you know worst case scenario have to put Mariota in by week eight or something like that. Once it's already too late, and then Mariota probably can't fix that ship anyways. And then you're in prime position for you know drafting a quarterback next year. I just don't like. I am an Oregon fan. I love Marcus Mariota so much. I have no reason or idea why you would start him. Well, I think it's I, – I think the interesting part of what you're saying there, Evan, the reason I think he has no shot at starting week one is because our offensive line is so unsettled. Like, there are three position battles very much up for grabs where it might be Dalman at center, it might be Hennessy. Um, we'll see at right tackle with Cale McGarry. Like, Telvin Jenkins might be in the building at some point because the Falcons' uh, yep. front office is just uh, Ryan Pace, Phil Emery, and insert ex-Chicago guy name here. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they make some calls when that uh, when he became available today, um, which I would take a flyer on uh, Jenkins, uh, second rounder, uh, offensive tackle. Like, hey, just put another body in there because the uh, what happened last year to Matt Ryan was illegal in 17 states. So right. I think that's part of the issue of like if you like Ritter and you still and you want to give him a fair shake, you do not want to throw him behind this offensive line for as long as humanly possible because. I <laughs> I am just very, very concerned. It's really just Matthews and Lindstrom that you feel good about. Jalen Mayfield was maybe the left the worst left guard in football last year. And a lot of that wasn't his fault. He wasn't even supposed to play left guard last year. And he kind of just got thrust into it as a rookie. And I don't know what his confidence level is like. Um, we'll see if he bounces back. He can't be any worse. But I just I'm concerned about throwing Ritter out there behind this offensive line. But I will say I think people might be sleeping on the skill talent in Atlanta a little bit because if the offensive line's solid, like if they're 20th or whatever, Kyle Pitts and Drake London are going to be good. Um, Brian Edwards, Auden Tate, we'll see how they work. But Cordell Patterson was a really good player last year, and he's, I think, going to be better this year. The the running back room is deeper. Mike Davis and the two yards per carry is out the door, so we don't have to do that experience anymore, um, which became like a running thing, uh, Mark, in Atlanta, where we had the Talvin Coleman uh, right. two-yard gain over and over again. We're like, what yeah. am I doing? What, why are we doing this? Why are we doing the halfback zone with Tevin Coleman for two to three yards uh, every other play? And the same thing with Mark Davis, where it was just like, this is, or Mike Davis, this, this is just a waste of time. Mike Davis is not breaking through. He's just, the, we're wasting our time here. And they finally did move on. And it was like, all right, quarter old until the end of the season. I don't know, like, what... Where are you most excited about for Ritter when you look at the skill talent? Do you think he's someone who will uh, maximize uh, guys like Pitts and London? Do you like the London Pitts fit for? I, I, I love it. I, I love it for Ritter. I love it for this offense. I, I think when you watch Ritter last year, you know, one of the things he had at his disposal was a receiver with a great catch radius and Alec Pierce. He of the 40 inch hmm. vertical. One of my. I, I, one of my guys in this draft. I'm, I'm excited for what he's going to do in Indy. And you look at those two guys, Pitts and London, and their catch radius and what they can do. I think the mesh is there. London was my receiver one. 
Like mm. I, I really liked him in this last draft class. I know Why? there was a lot of people talking about like, oh, you know, he's not consistent against, you know, press. He can't separate. You know, he's just a contested catch guy. I think a lot of that had to do with the quarterback play. You know, catching passes from Keaton Slovis, who's now in Pittsburgh, I believe. And then, you know, Addison decided, hey, yo, Keaton, welcome to Pittsburgh. Um, I'm going to go to the opposite coast now. Like, I'm mm. up, man. Um, I think, you know, where's going to be a good fit for London? I, and obviously, Pitts is, you know, one of a kind in a sense. You know, the ability to line up a tight end, line up in the slot, line up at the X, beat Xavier Howard on a go route in a must-catch situation late in the, late in the fourth quarter in a game where – you know, he had beaten strong safety Eric Rowe earlier in the game, and the Dolphins were like, no, 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 we're going to take our best cover corner and put him on pitch, and he still got open. I mean, I, I like the skill position talent, like you said, for when Ritter sees the field. Even if Mariota does start week one, I like the skill position stuff. Like you said, though, Chase, the offensive line is a question. That's generous, the question. Like, yeah. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty nervous. I don't yeah, know. I it's don't a know. big. Yeah, I don't know if the answer's in the building uh, no. right now uh, for Atlanta, but we'll see. Um Speaking of um, wideouts, though, the Bucks. I when I think one of the sneaky things about the Julio stuff when everyone fawned over and look, it it's going to be painful to see Julio in a Bucks jersey uh, catching passes from Tom Brady. I'm not going to enjoy um, one second of that. But is that weird for both of you? Is that, is that, is that a little <laughs> awkward for both of you guys? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. And and also, let's the 85 is awkward. It, like, it's strange. I, I can't. I cannot. Did he I, give a reason why that? Why is it just because that was available? It, but I just do not like it. That's weird. Um, I guess that's sticking though. He was wearing it in practice, but that's what he's going to run with. Eighty-five. That's yeah. Just, I heard he's just uh, a big Chad Ochocinco fan. I think is kind of the main thing. Maybe is that is that what it is? Oh, okay. I was like, right, maybe. <laughs> I have um, no well, I idea you, why you'd wear eighty-five if you're Julio Jones. I mean, Blaine Gabbard has eleven. I can't pry it away from him. No, I don't know. Well, when you look at that wide receiver room without Gronk. Mark, like when you Godwin's back, uh, Julio's in the building. You got uh, what was the the slot guy they drafted last year? I forgot his name. That a lot of people like Jimmy you know? Darden. Yes, so he's yeah. in the building. Um, you got Mike Evans, obviously still in the building. Like, is there? How do you think this fills out? Because all these guys are not going to be uh, catching passes from Tom Brady by like week six. How do you see the wide receiver targets being shaken out, and who sticks and who doesn't? Because I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't help but feel that Julio is basically like Godwin start of the season insurance more than anything else. Hmm. I I went back and rewatched, you know, Jones from last year when this was announced. And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure how much he really has left in the tank. Like when you're coming off like two straight years of like hamstring injuries, like uh, at this point, he's a freak athlete. You know, at his peak, he was, you know, one of the more dominant physical specimens in the league. But I'm not so sure that. He's got a full 17-game slate to him, or at least a regular workload over 17 games. I really think this is like – we can take our time with Godwin coming back from his knee injury where he suffered late in the year. You know, we can ease him back in. Julio is going to be more of a role – you know, uh, take on a bigger role at the start of the year. Once we get Godwin back, we can sort of then use him in spots, be more situational with him. You know, because I really think this is a, an offensive passing game that it's going to be Evans. It's going to be Godwin – you know, maybe Darden and you know Tyler Johnson are the guys that might see more opportunities out of the slot. Um, and, and Jones is going to be sort of a you know a, a you know rotational player by the time Halloween rolls around. Am I crazy to think that Russell Gage could lead this team in receptions this year? 
I've seen a lot of love for him recently. Like a lot I've of people kind of said, like, you know, Gage might be the guy. Because I always like to think, okay, if you're a defensive coordinator, where are you going to rotate your coverage? Where are you going to spin your safeties? Who are you going to bracket or double and things like that? Russell Gage is not on that list, like let hmm. alone be high on it. So, you know, he might see opportunities as a result. And the old saw up in New England before Brady left was, you know, his favorite receiver is the open guy. Like he doesn't care. <laughs> Who, yeah, you know who it is. Yeah, but it's the favorite real. receiver as the open guy until they don't catch the ball. Right, and then it's no you call longer. Call that the Harry. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I will say this. A lot of the like, like the sparkle and shine of the Bucks and Brady is like really starting to come off. Like, it's you know, it's it's exciting as a headline that they're signing Julio Jones, but like, I really don't know what type of Julio we're going to get. Um, you know, I, I think Mike Evans is still Mike Evans to, to the hundred percent level. Who knows? Um, I don't think that roster is nearly as good as their Super Bowl run. And I, I'm just like, so you don't have them as the favorite in the NFC right now. Absolutely not. Interesting. Absolutely not. I, I don't even think the Rams got better than they, I think the Rams got pretty bad and I'd still put the Super Bowl winners over Wait. So, how's your? How would you like? Where's the bracket? Where's your tier one Super Bowl contenders if you don't have the Bucks in it? I mean, I, you know, I will say this: the NFC is a lot harder for me. I don't know that I have yeah. a tier one for anyone in the NFC. To be really, you just don't you know, think the Bucks are number one in any tier. Here's how I look at it, right? Like the 49ers to me have the best roster in the NFC, but they have a huge question mark at quarterback. Right. Whereas the Rams have probably the most solidified like quarterback situation when you consider McVay and the offense and everything like that. But they're, you know, they lost a lot of pieces overall on the team that might, you know, who knows? Um, the Bucks, it just all predicated on Brady, right? Like, you know, it's, I get it. It's like you can't count Brady until he's out, but like he's not far from 45 years old. And it's just Six like, days. I, you know, like some point it's going, the wheels will fall off and it's not going to be pretty whenever it does happen. Am I going to bet against Tom Brady? No, especially not with Mark Schofield on the podcast, but you know, <laughs> no, feel free, man. I but mean, you know say? Like I just, there's no one in the NFC right now that genuinely like I'm like, like I just think is going to take it away and run. That is why, as a 49ers fan, I am such a homer and bias right now where I think they have a really strong shot at the NFC Championship and a Super Bowl because there's no clear power in the NFC. It's all in the AFC, and the AFC is, like, terrifying. Yeah, I mean, to sort of use your, like, tier analogy there, would you say, like, you know, if your tier one teams are the ones that you could say, like, yeah, I could see them winning the Super Bowl scenario right now. They're all in the AFC in your mind, right? Yeah. No, I could see the Packers winning a Super Bowl. I think the Packers are in that conversation. I think the defense is good enough, and Aaron Rodgers still like how 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 can you it at like everything Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have shown you the last eight years, and now they just lost the best wide receiver in the NFL. How can you have any confidence in that team? They can't win big games, and they certainly won't be able to do it now that they have Alan Lazard to replace uh, Devontae Adams. It was Sammy Watkins, but he's already injured. Well, I don't think it's just that. I think they're going to rely heavily on their run game. I think they have a good running back room. I love Kylan Hill. I'm a big Kylan Hill guy. Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, like they have a lot of options there. They're going to try. They We know they're going to preserve leads. It's more of like 
the Packers can win the Super Bowl if they're able to play the game they want to play through a playoff run. Like if they're able to play the style and play from ahead and like be able to control the game and especially up front. Like I love their <laughs> offensive line. I love their defensive line. I they have the makeup where it's like I I think they're going to be the number one seed in the NFC again. Like Aaron, I, I look Aaron at Aaron Rodgers said last year with the 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 cold front that was Lambeau Field. He goes. You know, we've always wanted to play at home for a playoff game. And finally, we get to do that. Like now we have everything going the way we want it to. And they lost to the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Like there is no perfect situation for them. They will always choke in the playoffs. They got their one Super Bowl out of the way early and they are done. I don't know. I mean, I where are they weak on defense? Where are they weak on offense? I just, where are they ever weak on defense or offense? They're I just never. That's my they whole thing. It's like I just have a good roster, except for now they have a worse receiving core, which is very yeah. important when you have the best passer in the NFL. Like, I mean, yes, their running back is their running back tandem is great. Like, it's really like kind of exciting, like to see AJ Dillon maybe be the second best or the best RB two in the NFL. Like, I'm really excited for them. But it doesn't matter because they always do what they always do. And a worse roster than last year is not going to get it done. I don't know if it's worse last year. I think the defense really might be number one defensive DVOA this year. And I just think if you are that, you have a realistic shot at winning Super Bowl. My crazy mark. I think the Falcons would have been your Super Bowl run had Julio Jones just been gone. Because that's what happened. They just lost. Yeah. They just lost their Julio Jones. I mean, Kyle... I'd have to go back and watch <laughs> without Julio. Like, are we inserting average player for Julio? Or are we We're just not saying talking that just the Super Bowl game? I'm just talking about the entire season. They yeah. no longer have Julio Jones. They don't That's have hard. Devontae It's Adams. hard. That's a hard question. I don't know if I can answer that one. Yeah, because you know the answer. I, know. <laughs> I mean, can the, can the Packers come out of the NFC? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. they can. Yeah. But I think Evan's point is they've, in a, in a passing league, they have gone backwards in their pass and offense when you lose Devontae Adams. Like, and you know, I, I know there's a lot of excitement about you know Christian Watson and Romeo. Is it? Yeah, it is Dubs, right? Like, he, I'm pretty sure it's Dubs, but it's spelled yeah, like Dubs. Yeah, because I know he's. There's been a little bit of talk about the pronunciation, and he had a story out where I didn't want to correct people because I'm shy, and so I, I saw that. This oh week. well, then maybe I'm wrong because that's what I've heard other people say out loud. So maybe yeah, that was what I they think were we saying. Need to flip it back. Yeah. Okay. Um, we apologize. But either way, Aaron Rodgers is notorious for like slow to get on the same page with rookie receivers, and so this idea that those guys are going to like step in and contribute right away. I don't know about that. Now, yes, they can run through the running backs. They can get those guys involved in the passing game. You know, LaFleur has done a very good job at getting, you know, those guys involved in the passing game as well. And I think, Chase, your point is right. This could be a very good defense, but it's a passing-based league, and they took a step backwards. Even with 12, they took a step back in the passing game. But do you think that's enough to, like, keep them out of a Super Bowl run with how the NFC looks? Because the NFC is weak. That's the part of the reason, too. I mean, I think the the whole thing is, like, the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers, like the Niners, like you, your teams that you're looking at, the NFC, they're all kind of like tier two teams. Yeah. Like, like I don't think there's a Buffalo in the NFC right now. There's absolutely like, not a Buffalo. I can tell you that. Dak yeah, Prescott it, thinks it's the Cowboys. Well, and that was actually going to be my next question. Like mm. as we, as you know, as I love to talk my my trash against the Green Bay Packers, you know, let's not pr- forget about the, the. I mean, like, is the Dallas Cowboys roster better this year? No. I'm not sure. No. 
I don't think right? so. So like, like the the Minnesota Vikings will I think have a better record than the Cowboys this year. I mean, the thing with Dallas is their starters are good. But their depth is like non-existent, mm-hmm. and they're already look. Gallup's going to be slow to come back. We just saw Washington's now out six to ten weeks. They, you know, I I, I know Cal- I do a Cowboy show. People were clamoring like, sign somebody, Julio Jones. I don't care if it's Cole Beasley. I don't care if it's you know the ghost of receivers past. Like bring somebody in. Now that receiving room is really thin. If they have guys go down. It's a huge question mark. And look, they, they went all in on Tyler Smith, you know, as their first round pick to show up an offensive line, losing Leo Collins, losing some other guys. Like, I don't see how, you know, the Joneses can tell us that, yeah, this is, we're in a better position to win this year than we were last year. I don't see that at all. Yeah. Do you think Zeke's healthy? What, what is Zeke looking like in camp? I think he's healthy. I, I think that, He's as healthy as you're going to get at this point in his sort of career. I mean, he's got a lot of miles on him, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's fair to say. And also, I think you're going to see some more. They might sort of bootstrap their repassing game now with Tony Pollard out of the slot. That's, that's hmm. been sort of the thing that people have been talking about, people have been clamoring for. We saw some of it last year. You might see more of it now. And there's a lot of excitement, yeah, about Jalen Tolbert. But it's like, again – you're asking a lot from rookies. You're asking a lot to get, move guys around. You're asking for everybody to stay healthy. Is Trayvon Diggs going to get you 11 picks again? Probably not. Like That's another thing to keep in mind. This defense was very good last year. Defensive statistics and defensive performance we've seen can be a bit noisy. Like If that yeah. defense takes a step back and this offense struggles at times, how good are they going to be? Oh, there goes Evan. He was just like, I'm just out. Like, I'm out. <laughs> he was just like, I am done uh, with the Cowboys. I can't do it. Well, uh, I'm hoping Evan comes back. But Mark, uh, while Evan gets back uh, situated, I'm curious. for. Oh, there he is. Evan's back. Oh, I don't know where Evan went, uh, but you're back. Um, is there a case for Dak to have a better year without Amari Cooper? And with this group, with a healthy Zeke, is there a – because he's he feels good. He what did he call it the golden year for for him? Do you think there is an MVP case or MVP scenario for him this year? I mean, there's an MVP scenario, but it feels like a, a very like thin needle to thread here. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it, part of that is I remain an Amari Cooper fan. I think he's an extremely talented route runner. I think you saw what he meant. You know, Dak, his numbers were struggling that year. They traded for him and they just took off because one of the things that Dak has at times struggled with is ball placement. And when you have a guy that can separate like Amari, Mm -hmm. it masks that over. Um, You know, last year I thought Dak was playing well. Then he got the calf injury and he struggled after that. Like, is there a path? Is there a world? Is there a, a simulation scenario where he wins MVP? Yeah but it's probably like seven times out of a hundred. Like it's not something I'm going to go put money on. It can happen. Yeah. But I think it would require Jalen Tolbert to take a huge step up. It would require Gallup to get back sooner. CeeDee Lamb to be hundred percent the entire season guys to avoid injuries and this offensive line to gel and Tyler Smith to be the guy that, you know, Mel Kiper jr. And company said he was when they drafted him in the first round. That's a lot of ifs that got to go their way. You might actually see Tony Pollard be like the reverse Debo this year. Yeah. Really, where he's just out there hmm. playing a different position out of need. It is, you know, I still am very high on CeeDee Lamb. 
I, I, you know, I, I thought he was actually going to a really good situation when the Cowboys drafted him. And now I'm, I'm actually starting to feel a little bad for him. Um, You know, I, I don't know. I, I just, if the Cowboys feel like a house of cards to me, right. We're like, it's like the structure's there. It's built up, but it's just waiting to fall. And I am very, very like I'm not even the Cowboys to me. I don't even think they went they win their division. And I was actually gonna I, that was something I specifically wanted to ask you, Mark. You know, as a as a Niners fan who has this great roster with a question at quarterback, I'm curious what you think about the Eagles, where it seems like a lot of people are really high on the roster, but like, what do you do with Jalen Hurts? Like, that's just it. I mean, that's just it. I mean, I've had people tell me. The Eagles had a tremendous offseason. I've had people tell me that, look, their UDFA class might be better than some draft class here. <laughs> like, to get N'Kobe Dean in third, Jordan Davis is just an ideal fit. Like, you look at everything they added. You look at the fact that, yeah, A.J. Brown is going to have such a butterfly effect on that wide receiver room, right? Because he's your prototypical alpha X receiver. Devonta Smith was good at times last year, had a great rookie year, but when he was up against more physical corners – face and press a line defenders they could pin him they could get into him they could you know control him a little bit now you can move him around a little bit more play him out of the slot get him in stacks and things like that they've checked so many boxes this offseason but it's the quarterback thing it's very similar evan to the situation with your san francisco 49ers it's like this roster is fantastic but what are you going to get out of jalen hurts at times he struggled last year i think that's entirely fair to say and he more than struggled he showed as the season went on more of a willingness to stay and fight in the pocket. Nick Sirianni evolved as a play caller in the first, say, seven weeks mm. of the season. They were the most pass heavy offense on first and 10 league wide. Period. Mm. By the time the season ended, they were 32nd. Like they completely flipped that. They realized we're going to get Hurts into some second and fives. We're going to get him into some second and fours. Second and 10 is just a nightmare for us waiting to happen. And so they've evolved. Sirianni evolved. But you can't build the whole plane, the whole offense out of running the ball and, you know, yep. expect to win games and go deep into the postseason. So similar to it's going to come down to Hurts. I think he can take that step forward. But again, it's an if. I am, uh, you know, as I I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is like my ex that I, I ended on a good, like amicably broke up with. And right. now I'm like trying to like send Jimmy to like other teams. I'm like, trust me, he's, he's great. He's just, it wasn't for me. Um, and I, I, I wish there was some fantasy world where the Philadelphia Eagles traded for Jimmy or that he got like cut and then he signs there because I think if Jimmy Garoppolo went in there and just straight up had a QB battle against with Hertz, he's winning. And I would love to see Jimmy on that team just for the sake of like, I hope Jimmy not to bring up Jimmy every single time, but he is going to get cut or traded like in the next day or two. So uh, I, I would love to see Jimmy on a team that talented just so we could like fully see how much the Kyle Shanahan effect uh, mattered. But I only say that because yeah, the, the Eagles roster looks great. A lot of ways, uh, you know, but I don't think Jalen Hurts is winning a Super Bowl anytime soon. He's a warrior, though, and people yeah. follow him. I, I've followed him, I mean, since college. Like, he's someone who's so easy to root for. That dude is I, – I just 
I, I hope that it happens. Like Jalen Hurts is an easy, easy dude to root for and guys buy into Jalen Hurts. And dude's got stones. Like to go from Nick Saban's offense to go to Lincoln Riley's and just be like, I can do it. Like, yeah. why not? Like I can I can run the air raid. I can do this with a Lincoln Riley. It goes to the playoff. Like that's just hard. I think that's something that a lot of people, if you're not a college football fan, like for him to make that jump was pretty ballsy uh, on his part. And it, it paid off. Um, I am curious though, Mark, uh, when it comes to, uh, the Seahawks and this is just gonna, Evan's going to be, uh, overjoyed to talk about this, but, uh, Chris Carson, who went to my high school, actually, uh, back in Georgia, he is unforced. He's for, uh, he has been forced to retire. Um, it was rumored that he was not going to get cleared and the next stuff has just not gone away. Unfortunately, um, been battling a lot of issues uh, with his injuries the last couple of years. So this was kind of expected, but Rashad Penny quietly was really, really good for Seattle last year. And then you draft Kenneth Walker. And then you look at this group, Charles Cross. A lot of folks liked him at the left tackle spot. Like, are you bullish on what Seattle's done? Do you just all go back down to like Geno Smith probably under center in week one. And this is just going to be like a one in 16 to it. Like Pete Carroll, is going to be in for a way more rude of a awakening post rust than Belichick was uh, without Brady. Or do you think there is a chance that they're a mediocre fringe, maybe playoff team with either it's, Gina or drew. It's hard to see that they're, you know, got some sort of like run at a wild card spot in them. Yeah. I mean, I really think this is like the rust trade was the start of the flip, you know, the rebuild that is coming. Um, I can't imagine a scenario where whether it's Locke, whether it's Geno Smith, like they make some kind of run, you know, could they put together an offense that's like serviceable? Yeah. But in today's NFL, like serviceable offenses aren't going to win you games. They're not going to get you to the playoffs. You need to generate explosive plays. They might get one or two a game out of, you know, Lockett and Metcalf and, you know, whoever's under center. But I really think this is the start of the markets, the, the, the flip to, we're going to tear down rebuilds, you know, whether it's Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whomever, like somebody else is under center next year when they pick a quarterback early. And, you know, I, I think that's what we're going to see more likely than anything else. Then why do you pay Metcalf? Because when you get that new new quarterback under center, you're going to want Metcalf there for him to throw to. You also need people to buy tickets to home games. No, that too. I mean, like, There is no world where you don't sign Metcalf. He is an exciting player. He's talented. He's also a fan favorite. Like, there's no upside to not signing him. Well, I'm saying trade him. Like, it's just at this point, like, it just feels like a, I don't know. I just, I get the sense that they're not going to do a full teardown. I don't think as long as Pete's there, he's interested in the full teardown. I think what we need to talk about is KJ Wright getting signed to a one-day contract. So he retires the Seahawks. Yeah, well, yeah, so was uh, J.R. Sweezy, but let's not talk about that. Um, but no, but to me as a, you know, a 49ers fan on the other on the side of Wilson's fit, uh, fence from home improvement looking over, <laughs> I'm like, OK, you think back to all the issues that Richard Sherman had when he left Seattle. You think back to how every major player that essentially won Pete Carroll the Super Bowl. Right. Like Bobby Wagner, Kate, all these guys, you know, Chancellor, every every one of them has essentially left with a bad taste in their mouth. Right. Like KJ Wright is the first person to retire. They didn't do that for Bobby Browner. They didn't do that for Cam Chancellor. Like, you know, like 
Russell Wilson's gone now. All these iconic players left mad. Not only do I think they're going to just just they're not done tearing down, but like I think that they're in a terrible situation. The Portland Trailblazers are owned by the same person that owned the Seattle Seahawks. And as a Trailblazers fan, I can very much so tell you that owner is sitting in the background, not caring about the sports going, let's just figure out how we manage this asset and, you know, this monetary asset until it's time to sell, which we'll have to do in the next eight to 10 years, which she said about, she said out loud. When you have a coach that has as much power that Pete Carroll has and a team that's depleted with no direction, nothing good coming out of Seattle whatsoever, really, at this point, that's really the owner's job to come and look around and be like, Pete Carroll's 97 years old. It's time to just blow this up. Let's get a new exciting head coach in. Whoever cuts Sean, you know, Sean McVay's hair, whatever. Let's get someone new in. Let's start over. But I don't think they have that vision. And I know Jody Allen isn't making that call. So I think it's only going to get worse from here. You know, I don't think that Drew Locke is going to save the situation. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo, if he does get cut going there, is going to save the situation. I see nothing but inevitability with Seattle. That's I mean, it's over. Everything is gone. The party is over. The cool kids have left. The cops are here. And, you know, it's time to go. Yeah, I think you nailed it right there. I mean, I, I think part of it is like the, the Pete Carroll factor. I mean, like you said, like he's probably more of a college coach at heart. Everybody's left mad. Everybody's left angry. And at this point, you know, in his career, it's kind of time to exit stage right. Well, we'll see what happens um, in Seattle. Uh, last thing before we do our AFC uh, questions for the AFC East. Um, there was a crazy Kirk Cousins story over the week that I just, I wasn't all in on until I watched the video. So props to whoever found the actual exchange. Uh, good, good job by you. Because you can absolutely see that that is absolutely what happened in that exchange. But for folks who have not gone back and looked at it, it's uh, NFC North News on Twitter. Um, Evan, when you saw this, what was uh, what was your first thought, and what do you make of the the back and forth between uh, um, Kirk Cousins and uh, Mike Zimmer? I just love the idea of Kirk Cousins and all of his mediocrity, like just running up to Zimmer and be like, "You like that? Saved your ass!" And it's just like. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen that like Twitter post where it's like, the, it's like we're ha- they're having a mid off. Like to <laughs> me, it was just like, that was what it is to me where it's just like, like Kirk cousins is like beating his chest where it's like Mike Zimmer's one of the nicest, like most well-received well-liked coaches in the NFL. And you're like over here, like, oh, I just saved your gas. It's like, like every single person in the organization, Mike Zimmer included was looking at your contract that there is no way, shape or form to get rid of trying to find a way to get rid of it. Like no one wants you in Minnesota. No one thinks you're the guy. Like everyone was trying to find a way out after the first two years. So it's like, I don't know if I'm just like empathetic towards Mike Zimmer. Cause I think he's a nice guy and a good coach. I don't know if it's just cause it's Kirk cousins and he's such, such a punchable dude. Uh, but like, there's nothing from that where I was like, I just, I never did it. I did either of you even look at Kirk cousins, reaction and situation go that a boy, Kurt, 
No, and let's not forget he did it after a game against the Lions. Yes. Right. Like, calm down, man. And and this like Kirk Cousins having a catchphrase of you like that because it's not the first time he's done it. Right. Came off when he was with Washington with a late game win, screaming at the media, you like that, you like that. It's like, man, like calm down, dude. Like you just beat the Detroit Lions. Like I know. It's literally like Team Rocket having their catchphrase, where it's yeah. like, we're going to little say our little jingle and then immediately lose. Yeah. <sighs> I just love, because Zimmer, like, I just think people got to understand, like, how unlikely it is for coaches to uh, just expel this much stuff, this much inner turmoil. Um, so props to Mike for oh, opening absolutely. up. Absolutely, Like, I love that he came out and was like, yeah, this is exactly what happened. And yes. you know, that was my breaking point. I was ready to punch him in that moment. Like, I so just, let me give you the full quote. Like, it's it's pretty preposterous. He said, yeah. quote, tension had been rising between Kirk and myself after the loss to the Browns. I told him face to face he needs to be better. Kirk didn't say a word to me the whole week going into that game versus Detroit. Skip ahead to that last drive, and Kirk comes right next to me uh, as Greg is getting ready to kick it. Greg nails the kick. We win the game, and then Kirk turns and grabs me and says, you fucking like that? I just saved your job. I was ready to punch him in that moment. Instead, I pushed him off me. That was my breaking point with Kirk right there. He you just My favorite part about that entire quote is like, I don't imagine that coming from like him being interviewed like from a reporter. Like I imagine he was like in the drive-thru at Wendy's, and they were like, <laughs> Do you want any extra sauces? And he's like, let me tell you about what Kirk Cousins said. Like, mm-hmm. he's just like, he's just done. He's not coaching there anymore. And I feel like it's just like, he's just like, I need all of you to know how much this kid sucked. Yeah. And then not Absolutely. like from a talent perspective, like the kid can, you know, Kirk can throw the ball. I think it's just like, in spite of how well you can throw the ball, in spite of all your yards and touchdowns, I hate you. <laughs> It's just not a good look. Like I just, it's Mike comes off looking ten times better here. Like that's just such a weird look for Kirk. And I just the whole not talking to him for the full week when he just yeah. challenged him. He's like, "You lost, and we're in this." T-. Like that's not how you you proved his point. Like this is not how you respond to stuff like that. So, and also I don't know. just one more time to reiterate <laughs> what Mark said to to come off a loss come in and beat the lions and that's where you're going to pound your chest. Right. Like Dan Campbell's over there mainlining like espresso <laughs> shots, like doesn't even know where he Lighting is. And you're like, caps. Yeah. Oh man. Um, well, I have one question uh, as we wrap up here on the, the Monday night edition here on the pod. Uh, Mark, we, Evan and I are going to start our preview series here on the podcast. And I want to uh, get your perspective as well on this. I got one looming question for each team, and I think uh, we go from worst to first here. So the New York Jets, my looming question for them, who makes life easiest for Zach Wilson on this roster this year? Because that's what I think it comes down to for Zach Wilson is, is there enough playmakers? Is there enough offensive line help? Is there enough help in the run game um, with Brees Hall and company that Zach Wilson just has an easy life this year because i think that might make or break him in year two in his confidence what who who is that guy for them makai becton like okay. if they can get becton to live up to the first round bill and to live up to the hype to solidify the right tackle spot because they've moved him to right tackle george fan out left tackle because as talented as a, a thrower of the football as zach wilson is what made him sort of special and got him a first round pick 
out of BYU is that line he played behind. He was thrown behind some very clean out of some very clean pockets, was very comfortable. I mean, you saw him last year before his little injury and he had to sit down for a while. He was so skittish back there. Like he was speeding everything up. He was cut and drop short. Seven step drops became three step drops. Five became two. He's looking and hitching to throw, and guys weren't even thinking about getting into their breaks yet, let alone actually getting into and out of them. It threw off the timing route. You could watch his game against Denver. He's letting the ball go before guys are even thinking about looking for the ball because he's afraid of that next hit. If they can solidify the offensive line in front of him, particularly Becton, you know, finally getting him healthy, getting him ready to go, and at that right tackle spot, that's going to make his life as easy as possible. Yes, Garrett Wilson's a fantastic addition. I love him. Elijah Moore, fantastic receiver. I mean, Corey Davis, great. Like, they've got weapons around him. Brees Hall, if they can figure the offensive line out, that's what's going to help him the most. Yeah, I will go. I'll go outside of the box because I I vehemently agree with Mark there, and I think that's the right answer. But I think another approach would be Sauce Gardner, hmm. yeah, because yeah. because Sauce Gardner really I think has all the intangibles, all the physical tools. I think the mentality, the attitude, all the above of being the next number one corner. And if he can come in and have a Travon Diggs type interception uh you know season but also you know be a good cover corner as well you know if he, if he can really come in and be that number one corner and get those interceptions i think it's going to be the easiest way to give zach wilson the confidence that he needs to be able to use the receivers and the weapons he has because he's got the weapons around him right and i think they've got a pretty good scheme you know, it's the Shanahan McFace scheme coming over there with McDaniel. Um, if the defense can get these turnovers and command, you know, the field and give him more time and just take the pressure off, I think that's what he needs because, like, that kid at times just played so lost last year and just confused and maybe even a little terrified. And, uh, yeah, he, I think he needs his confidence this year, however you can get it. Yeah, I'll say for me, it's Denzel Mims, where if he breaks back out and is the kind of guy that I thought he was coming out of Baylor, because I think Elijah Moore is a safe bet. I think CJ Ozama is a safe bet. I think he's going to find success with those two guys. I think if you get real production out of the forgotten pieces from the previous kind of generation here, then you're really cooking with something. Like when you have, like, I'm just penciling in the other guys as probably going to work. And if you really want to get to that next level where it's like, oh, Mims is a guy now, like he has all these options. And then he just has Mims who's just forgotten about and has all the talent in the world. I could that, that then I'm like, OK, they're going to be in good shape. Like if Denzel Mims is someone he can also count on, because I think he'll be able to count on more. I think he'll be able to count on Hall. I think he'll be able to count on um, what's the other running back that they have. Uh, Michael Carter. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of guys that he'll be able to uh, prioritize and feed the ball to. But if you're, at the point where it's like Mims is something. It's like, I feel like they're in pretty good shape. Um, in terms of the Patriots, my looming question, Evan, is there enough skill set talent around Mac Jones to make the playoffs again? Um, this is something that I think is kind of overlooked with the the Patriots. Like we're all on, uh, as the Ringer NFL show talked about this week, we're on walkie talkie watch to see if it's Matt Patricia or Joe Judge calling plays uh, for New England. But it looks like it's going to be Patricia. Um, is there enough skill talent? Because that is where he thrives is the he is going to do enough if you surround him with the right pieces. But when you look at the wide receivers, you look at 
I mean, the thing that pops is Stevenson and um, uh, Damian Harris. But there's question marks. There's question marks at the skill position guys around Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Is it is that enough? The two tight end sets like who is is that a fair question? And who do you have is like the guys for them? Well, first and foremost, I'm definitely going to I want Mark to be the one to end the to to answer last as this is his team. Um, But, you know, I will say. I think that it's really going to be pretty dependent on what happens in the AFC East, right? Because it's like, do I think that Bill Belichick can do get to the playoffs? I saw what happened last year. Yes, absolutely. I'm never betting against Bill Belichick. But for the first time in a really long time, the AFC East is actually starting to look like a maybe decent division, right? And if you come out by week six, week eight, and you're like – the, you know, the Dolphins have three or four wins. The Jets have three wins. And all of a sudden, this is like, this is a defense that can fight back. You know, this is a division of teams that can fight back against the Patriots, which for, you know, the last 15 years, really, they haven't been able to do. That's when I start to say it's not possible. In a vacuum, yes, I think that the Patriots, Mac Jones, especially with what they did his rookie year, Absolutely, do I think they can do that? But if this if this division becomes the brawl that I think it's going to be, and I do, and I think that Miami ends up being a lot better than they were last year, I just don't know if they if there's room. Interesting. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, Evans kind of nailed it there. I mean, it's not like the AFC East of years past where New England look at Miami. And, yeah, they've had some struggles down in Miami, particularly if they have to play down there late in the season or, you know, even whenever they have to play down there, that was kind of always Brady's house. Monday Night Football. Um, yeah. When they exactly. were orange. Yeah. Um, but you don't look at that, those games against, you know, the Jets and the Dolphins is like, yeah, you're three and one to start the year. And, you know, worst case scenario, three and one. And you're more likely four and oh. Hmm. Um, those days are gone. This is a much improved AFC East sitting here right now. And I know, look, a lot's been made about who's going to be calling plays. And, you know, right now, you know, Patricia's been calling plays in training camp. Although I do think it's, you know, important to remember that a lot of this stuff is scripted anyway. It's not like he's like scrapping together like game plans and things like that. It's like these are the things we're installing. This is what we're going to be calling. Like, you know, it's scripted training camp stuff. I think it's important to point out that the guy that has the title of, you know, I think the way they phrase it is offensive assistant and quarterbacks coach mm-hmm. is Joe Judge. And the last time that Josh McDaniels left to go coach Denver, Bill O'Brien had those same titles. And he was the guy that ended up calling plays when the season started and had that title, those titles for two years until he finally got the OC title. Whereas Patricia is a senior offensive assistant and offensive line coach. You know, I, I wouldn't surprise me to see if it's ultimately Joe Judge calling plays. Not that that inspires more confidence than, say, Matt Patricia calling plays. It's not like either one really inspires confidence at all, particularly with a young quarterback in Mac Jones. And we all know you need that sort of consistency around the play call. Now, are there enough weapons? Maybe. I mean, that that's a big question. They're talking to people up in New England, like John O. Smith seems to have emerged. There's excitement about Kendrick Bourne. There's excitement about getting Tyquan Thornton involved. But there's a lot of moving parts. And – we're also ignoring the fact they got to rebuild some things on defense. Like you're hmm. talking about a whole new set of linebackers that are going to be started for them. Hmm. Talk about rebuilding a secondary now. JC Jackson's gone. Stephon Gilmore left last year. Like 
yes, Jalen Mills is right now being looked at as the alpha dog CB1, which, again, does that really inspire confidence? We might see a lot more zone out of this team than we have in years past. Bill Belichick mm. thinks cover one is God's gift to defense. Like, it's going to be different. And when you're thinking about the schedule and the quarterbacks they have to play, I mean, you get Josh Allen twice. You know, you're going to get the Dolphins twice. You get Zach Wilson twice. You get Lamar. You get Rodgers. You get – you know, as it stands right now, they will miss Deshaun Watson, but who knows? Because that's the sixth game of the current suspension. And you get Matt Ryan, like you get Kyler and you get Derek Carr and a back to back at Arizona and at Las Vegas. You get Joe Burrow after that back to back West Coast swing. This is a tough schedule. Could they, Bill Belichick, like Evan said, you don't want to bet against them, but 10 and 7, yeah, they could do that. 7 and 10 is also possible too. Mm hmm. I could see them being last in this division. I think it's a possibility. Yeah. And I I just I don't trust this receiver room. That's what I can't shake. Where Kendrick you're asking a lot out of Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker. And, and, and look, let's go be Mars the one you can bet on, right? Let's not gloss over the fact that they drafted Taekwon Thornton, very mm-hmm. fast guy. A lot of people liked him. They drafted him at 50, and then you get Pickens, Pierce, Sky Moore at 52, 53, 54. Like, is this Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf 2.0? Patriots fans are worried it might be. I will ask you this, Mark. How worried are you about the Jets and the Dolphins this year and over the next three years? I'm extremely worried about the Dolphins this year. I'm almost terrified about the Jets in, say, years two, three, and four from now. Like, I think the Jets are, like, a year away from being, like, playoff relevant. But you look at what they added this offseason and, you know, to bring it back to Sauce, the first time I watched him, I was like, Robert Sala is drafting this guy in the first round. Yeah. And that was like in October of last year. And I, I did a mock with him at 10 and, and Jets fans were like, no, there's no way they're drafting I, this guy. In the first I round. remember that mock, by the way. I think you were one of the first people I saw to really put that out there. And people were like, there's no way they're going to do it. I'm like. Watch this kid and tell me he's not Sherman 2.0 and Robert Sala's mind. Like, it's hmm. going to happen. And they, they, when did they do it? They did it a little bit earlier than that. Like, yeah, yeah the Jets terrify me for like the next three to four years. Interesting. Um, well, speaking of the Dolphins, Mark, when you look at the Dolphins and what they've built um, this offseason, they're bringing in McDaniel, uh, not Sean Payton and Tom Brady, as it was almost yeah. a possibility uh, we learned later on. Um, my looming question for them and for you is where does the offense need to be in DVOA to make the playoffs? Because of what we've seen this last couple of years, the, it, the reason I focus on the offense is like, the defense is the exact same. They bring every single starter back. I think we can just go ahead and pencil in the defense is going to be pretty close to what they were a year ago. Pretty solid. Like, I'm not worried about the defense. It's really just like, where do they have to get offensively with Tua to be a playoff team? I mean, league average. I mean, in terms of offensive DVOA, I mean, mm. 18 and 19 Cincinnati and Las Vegas last year, right? And then they made the playoffs. This was a rush defense that was 29th. I think that's going to be improved for a number of reasons. I think Mike McDaniel schematically is going to improve that. And I also think, again, I sort of alluded to, like, putting yourself in the minds of an opposing. If you're Bill Belichick, get ready to play the Dolphins. What's keeping you up at night right now? Hmm. It's Tyreek. It's Waddle. It's Mike just – Tight ends terrify Bill Belichick. Over the years, we've seen that. When they would play Kansas City, the guy that they would bracket and double was Kelsey, not Tyreek Hill or anybody else. He's worried about the tight ends. 
that's going to give a lot of light boxes for what Miami's going to do in the run game. I mean, so I think that 29th rush DVOA is going to jump up naturally, which is going to boost this. And, you know, McDaniel talked last week about deliberate intent, which is really just code for Tua. Get the ball to Waddle or Hill early with space to room, with space to operate. Let them get yardage after the catch. The 50-yard the bombs that they're showing on social media is going to be a fraction of what they do offensively. It's going to be a lot of yardage after the catch. And I know Dolphins fans, they love to point out that Tua was number one in adjusted completion percentage, according to PFF, on deep throws last year. He might be there again, but it's going to be a fraction of what they do offensively. Do, do you know in 2019 who was at the top of that list too? No. Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, like yeah, like I I don't care. Like again, like with Tua, it was like seven percent of his passive attempts last year, or something like that. It's like a fraction of what you do. And and even so, like if you are a Miami Dolphins fan, why are you dying on that hill? Just be glad that you have a really exciting young coach, great weapons, and a quarterback who's accurate enough to get the ball in the hands of the boys to go. Seeing some of the like. Buffalo versus Miami Twitter warfare. Mm-hmm. A lot of Bills fans are just like, he has a noodle arm. And Dolphins fans have sort of died on this idea that his adjusted completion percentage on deep throws is evidence that he doesn't have a noodle arm. Obviously overlooking the fact that, like, you put a lot of air on some of those throws. Like, arm talent and velocity has really nothing to do with it. But. Right. Yeah, I uh... – I think the Dolphins are going to be a very sneaky team this year. Obviously, I've got a, I've got a dog in this race because I am a huge Mike McDaniel's fan. Um, but uh, I do think, yeah, I, I, I everybody keeps talking about these air yards, these fifty yard bombs, and it's just like they're going to destroy you within the first ten yards. Yeah, and that's where you need to worry. Yeah. Also, Chase Edmonds is a super interesting dude, and I highly encourage people to go read uh, Tyler Dunn's uh, series with him on Go Long TD. Uh, very illuminating, very interesting stuff. So easy got to root for, and that's just uh, – they're an interesting team. I just feel like it's – and I don't know if you agree with this, Mark. Um, I feel like it's either the Jets break through or the Dolphins do. Like, it's one of the two. I think one has the season from hell, and it goes just completely awry, and the other one breaks through and makes the playoffs. I don't, I don't see, I don't see the a Patriots implosion. Someone has to be bad in this division. Someone has to go four and thirteen, and I just think it's one of those two. And one of them has a much better season than we're anticipating. I, I just, I don't know. It seems like most people are leading Dolphins. Yeah, it's just you don't want to put your faith in the Jets. It's just the, the Jets. It's hard stigma. to put your faith in the Jets, and while like, like, that's sort of what I was talking about earlier, when when Evan asked me what team scares you more, it's the Dolphins. Yeah. I think the Dolphins are that team that can make that run this year. But I think like sustainable with the talent they've added, the young talent they've added, it's the Jets that really scare me over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, we end with Buffalo Bills. I think uh, we're going to be uh, – there's not a lot of questions about the Buffalo Bills going into this year. The one question is like, oh, Levi Wallace kind of hurts. He was really awesome for them for years and uh, was just someone you could count on because they kept bringing in dudes to replace him. And he was like, no, that's not happening. You can draft whoever you want to draft, sign whoever you want to draft. I'm still starting cornerback uh, on this football team. And now he's gone in Pittsburgh. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. But – I guess as the quarterback guru, Mark, what can Josh Allen still get better at as a quarterback in 2022? What area can he get better at this year? God, man, that's so hard to answer because, and, you know, I I was trying to think about that and come up with an answer when you send over the run sheet. And I was just like, the only thing I can come up with 
And then this says more external factors at play. Mm. You know, the biggest question I had with the Bills going into last season was, can they adjust to the adjustments faster than they showed the year prior? Because when he came out, it was tearing defenses up when they were playing man coverage, hitting crosser after crosser and throwing absolute ropes. Then they had this stretch of games against like Tennessee and some other teams where they just threw a bunch of zone at them. And they were like, figure it out. It took him and Dable like four weeks to come up with a game plan to respond to zone coverage that you saw against Evans Niners, the Broncos, a game against my Patriots where it was just they started covering up zone coverage. But it took them like four weeks to figure it out. My question going into last year was, can they adjust to the adjustments faster? And you saw more of that. Teams would play too high against them, play cover four, some drop eight stuff at times. They would sort of figure it out. They got to figure out like a more consistent way to run teams out of those coverage shells. And it might just be what they've done, which is Josh Allen's legs. But now with Dable gone, can they continue to do that? Or do he and Ken Dorsey, now their new offensive coordinator, sort of get back to what we saw two years ago, which is when teams show them something they weren't expecting, it takes them a week or sort of figure out how to adjust and respond. Like, that's my biggest thing. I think Allen's good enough at this point where he can kind of do it on his own. Like, if they're going to show him something that he maybe hasn't seen or wasn't prepared for, he's like, oh, yeah, I can I can figure this out. I can solve this problem now with my armor and my mind because he's two years removed from that season I was talking about. But I think that's the biggest the thing that I'm looking at because this is a talented roster on both sides of the football. Like, just so talented. And he's so, so talented at the quarterback position. You know, shut people like me up that were like, I don't know if this is going to work in the NFL, this kid from Wyoming. It certainly worked. Evan, what do you uh, think? At this point, like you are right, there's nothing that you could say. I, I mean, we got to, we have to. Mark's completely right. We have to see what happens now that the bowl's gone. Right? It, it is a huge uh, factor. We, you know, to some extent, it's a, it's a variable nonetheless. So, for me though, I'm like all I need to see from Josh Allen at this point is go win the big game because yeah. you've done everything. You know, the only thing I want to see is that like adversity of winning the big game, and you know. Super Bowl, yeah, that would be great. But like, it could it could be a playoff game to me too. Like, if he can go in and back against the wall, down a touchdown, whatever, and just go out and win the football game, win a big game, all by himself. You know, whether it's your legs, throwing a ball, go do it. Because like, that's all that's left, right? Like, at this point, it's just the same with Mahomes after his first year, right? Like, it's like the only thing left now is go win the game. Because we've seen that you can do everything. You are as good as we all thought you would be at your highest level. I mean, he's incredible. Yeah. I mean, my questions are pretty, like, it's a good problem to have where it's like, what if Elam's not a good corner right off the bat? Like, what right. if he's getting cooked? What if that was a the mess up? Like, that's a possibility. Like, that's, that's a hole. Because um, he's penciling in to start right now on the corner spots. I do love their running back room. I think that's like the most underrated part about Buffalo right now is Devin Singletary is a really good player. And uh, having watched a lot of James Cook, he's just going to be a perfect fit in that offense. And it's kind of like a souped up Devin Singletary who can run a little bit more. And you have Zach Moss in the more traditional role to really uh, use as a short yardage back. I don't know. I think they're just, they have options everywhere. I mean, maybe it's like Gabriel Davis. You're just like, maybe that wasn't real against KC. And that's not sustainable. And there's just a lot, a lot of stuff thrown at Stephon Diggs where you're like, all right, we're going to trade for a receiver or sign OBJ in like week nine or whatever. Like that might be a thing, but uh, I would be pretty, pretty floored. This is not your AFC East champion uh, going into next year, right? Like that's 
I want to um, say, guys, before we leave, before mm-hmm. we, we have you guys go, uh, a new highlight reel uh, catch just came in today from the San Francisco 49ers social media team from uh-huh. uh, Trey and Brandon Ayuk. And let me just say, <laughs> they are going to win the Super Bowl. Mm. And enjoy. Don't so get me sued. I, I'm not going. <laughs> Put the ball where they Ooh. cannot defend. Yeah, yeah, that monument defender, he can't get his hands up. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I like that. That's very nice. Oh. I'll see it in a Brill game, though. There you go. It's coming. Like it. um, we'll end uh, here, guys. But, Mark, what can the good folks check out from you across uh, the interwebs this week, man? Um, well, guys, this was a blast. Um, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. I'm – Hopefully I can put sort of Deshaun Watson stories in the rearview mirror because that was how I pretty much spent my Monday. I was I literally throw back to my days as a lawyer, like printed something out and like highlighted it and stuff. Yeah. Burn them all with jet fuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not it was not my favorite Monday, but hey, we can we're gonna actually actually have a football game Thursday night. So Isn't that wild? I will be breaking down, you know, the Hall of Fame game because we are starved for football as we get it Thursday night. Hey, you're a trooper, man. I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't I, I don't know if that's for me. But it's a cool venue. It looks it's, cool. It's, yeah, and you get the first one. Like, mm. preseason week two is when I'm kind of like, really? Like, I don't need to start breaking down, like, all 22. Like, the first one's fun because we're all excited and everybody's on yeah. the timeline. And midway through the second quarter, we're all, like, hating ourselves because really – Oh, speaking of the coaches film, is that available now for the NFL Plus? Because it was not popped up for me when it first transitioned. No, 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 NFL Plus. Like, uh, like people are still using the, uh, the you know, secret IP addresses. And so that's how they're doing it. Because I, w- I thought I was alone. I'm like, I'm definitely subscribed and I've had it and I don't, I have not been able to use it yet. I will okay. say, in, in not to give them too much deference here, at least they did it in July like, yeah. Do you remember last year when it was like the week of week one? It was like, yes. yeah, we're going to turn the switch and get, you know, Game Pass up and running. And it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we knew. It was a mess. Like, yeah, it, it's just not a good product. Yeah. Um, but hopefully it's better. Hopefully NFL Plus is better. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Mark, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for making the time. Evan, thank you, as always, for making the time. For an yeah, Mark. Mark, man, it was so so cool to have you on. It's a long time. Absolutely, I I can't stress it enough. I don't know. I mean, I haven't done podcasts in a long time since I started hanging out with Chase on his. But like, is this the first time we've ever done a podcast? This is the first time for the three of us here. Yeah, this makes me very happy, dude. Let's do it again, and we will absolutely do it again. Love you, gentlemen. Mark, Evan, thank you, and I will talk to y'all very soon. All right, y'all, that'll do it for the Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you, as always, to Mr. Evan Swords for coming on uh, today's edition of the program, and thank you to Mark Schofield for coming on as well. Uh, It was a lot of fun, and I hope you guys enjoyed our NFL conversation. If you did, as always, don't forget to uh, support the show in a very quick and easy way. Leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you have not already done so, and that is how you listen to this very program. Make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcast player and on youtube at youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast this is a daily national sports show with all kinds of great coverage each and every day here on this feed so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any new episodes uh new stuff coming tomorrow so we'll look out for that but you guys have yourself a great tuesday and i will talk to y'all tomorrow uncle derek how'd i do
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.